Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. And with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy. We're cracking. That was very loud. Uh, we are cracking the first beer for this uh, Halloween episode. This is basically our Halloween episode because it will come out October 30th, one yes. day before Halloween. Ooh. And today we are having a beer we probably should have had the last episode. Last episode, we were talking about camping. And what is the name of this beer there, Delty Poo? Give me a second while I pour. It is a Latin name that I looked up. Uh, I think one of these has less. Actually pretty damn good. Proud of you. Look at that. Look at you go. Look at that. Uh, This is from Cabin Boys Brewery, which is a brewery. Do, 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 do. Out of eastern Oklahoma. Tulsa. Tulsa, America. Which is, I guess, eastern Oklahoma. It is a 12 fluid ounce uh, 8.7% alcohol by volume. It says, enjoy in a tulip glass at 48 degrees. IBUs are 26, and SRM, whatever that is, is 45. This is an American orange stout. The name of the beer is Felix et Tenebris. I looked it up. Should have just read the can. It's right here on the can. <laughs> Latin for happy and dark. This stout is a dark, roasty, chocolatey beast. The darkness, in quotations, of this stout comes from the complex malt variations giving it added depth of flavor. The happiness, in quotations, comes from the orange slices we threw into the boil, giving it a robust, crisp finish. I am super excited for this beer. It is going to be delightful. And uh, I remember we had Cabin Boys about two months ago or so on the podcast. We had their going stag uh, uh, several episodes back. Yes, and the last one, that can was undercarbonated and very soft. Very undercarbonated. So I have a feeling that we got an undercarbonated can being that this wasn't that way. This was very firm can. This was a firm can and it popped good. You yeah, firm cans. The the look of this beer is I'm it's motor oil black. Like you cannot see through it, but it doesn't look as thick. It's got a little more uh, a little less viscosity, I guess we should say. It has tiny crisp bubbles, or not more. big thick bubbles. That's true. Is viscosity. If you say it's more viscous, is it thicker or thinner? I think it's thicker. So this would have less viscosity. I think it's more movement. I don't know how to... You make it more viscous whenever you agitate the ketchup. Maybe? I'm going to have to... <laughs> I didn't expect to be Googling something so soon. Uh, <laughs> hang on, hang on. So let's see. First, we just need straight up viscosity. A great word, by the way. It's the state of being thick, sticky, and semi-fluid in consistency due to internal friction. So if it is less viscous, it is thinner. More viscous or more viscosity would be thicker. No, I think more viscosity it is more able to flow. Because like ketchup, it doesn't really move until you shake up the can and becomes more viscous and it moves. More viscous. A fluid with large a fluid with large viscosity resists motion because its molecular makeup gives it a lot of internal friction. A fluid with low viscosity flows easily because its molecular ah, makeup results in little friction. Got it. So this would be l- less viscous than what I expected from it being a stout. It's got more fluid movement. There you we go. Viscous my butt. We did it. I can't. I, that's okay. Anyway, it's super dark. It's got tiny bu- bubbles like Haley said. What about the smell, Haley? How's it smell? I'm, I'm a little too distracted right now because you haven't acknowledged any of my puns. I'm ignoring I'm really them. Proud of them. I'm ignoring them. <laughs> ben will acknowledge them later. That's what happens. You and your firm cans. It smells very like roasty and dark chocolatey. But without a like base. A, like an actual cocoa. It is, yeah, it doesn't smell like a base. It's like you're opening up a can of Hershey's cocoa powder. 
and that's what you're smelling. I get more of a roasted base in there, but that might just be my nose. It smells too light. It smells, it almost smells powdery in a way. Ooh, it's got a nice mouthfeel. I would say just shy of velvety. You know, that real, real super Mm -hmm. smooth mouth. It's just shy of that. Mm -hmm. Enough carbonation to carry. And it's got a, it actually, the longer it sits now without me having taken a drink, it's got a teensy bit of like bitter cocoa on the back end, Mm -hmm. I feel. Yeah, it's the aftertaste of cocoa powder, I think. And I think the citrus, I think the citrus just adds that little bit of height to it, that little bit of high end, not acid. I can't think of how to describe it, but it rounds it out. I think without any high end in this, it would just be super low, heavy, dark. This reminds me of, you know how you have like chocolate oranges? Mm -hmm. That's what it reminds me of, like a chocolate orange. Yeah. Because whenever you're having the chocolate orange, there's like that little bit of of orangey citrusness in it. Yeah, but, but not a ton. Like chocolate. Yeah, that's what that, it tastes that's like. That's what this is coming through. It's a really good beer. I think this is far better than, than the going stag we had from them. Absolutely. From Cabin Boys. This is very good. I like this a lot. We need to get a six-pack of this for tomorrow night. We need to. Uh, maybe. Depends on how long we're Oh, I guess uh, that's true. Not driving. This is So, again, this is from Cabin Boys Brewery. This is their Felix et Tenebris, or their Dark and Happy, or sorry, Happy and Dark. Anyway, this is Friday night. I almost said Saturday night. Uh, what day is today? The 28th. So we're recording this a couple days before it's going to release. So I'll get some editing done in the next few days. But uh, the last time we talked to you all, we had Riley and Lakin up. And since then, it's been work. <laughs> and we went to see my parents go hiking with Morgan, finally meet her wonderful boyfriend, Clay, and a bunch of her other friends. So we got to go hiking and do all that kind of stuff and visit family. I love the crossover episodes for friend groups meeting up. Basically, she had the lifelong friend of Delton, the college friends, the uh, sweetie, of course, the writing friends. And we just all met together. And it was just like whenever the Jetsons met the Flintstones. It was great. It's just all a bunch of nerds in one place. I mean, that's literally what it was. But it was very good. We had a fun hike, a fun time visiting family, got to go see grandma and just enjoyed. Scored some pickles. Just enjoyed going to see everybody and having a weekend to do that. Uh, You know, as tiring as it was after hiking and staying up late and all that, it was a very good time, and I'm glad we got to, you know, carve out a weekend to go do that. Yeah, it was really nice to visit his family. I love his parents. If Delt never leaves me, I get his mom. Mm -hmm. We've already determined that. That is, she gets to be my mom from now on. She's my mother. Yep. Uh, What else we do? Oh, yeah. Like Delt said, we worked. We've done some reading this week. Delt's read some comic books. I'm almost finished with a book that I've been reading off and on for the last two months. Yeah, finally. Hey, I've read other books. So Delton, Delta buys me books, and he is the best book buyer. Hello. And he bought this book for me. Uh, What was it called? The The Underground? Isn't it Underland? Underland. It's about the exploration of caves and humans' relationships with caves over you know the last uh, 10,000 Ro- years. Robert McFarlane. Yes, Robert McFarlane. And he bought that book for me right before the plague started. And whenever the plague started, I kind of got out of reading about real life stuff for a while because real life was heavy enough. And I started reading more fantasy and sci-fi and uh, Sylvia Garcia Moreno, who's amazing as an author. Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Thank you. I told you yeah. he buys the books. Yeah. But uh, I picked this one up whenever I picked it back up whenever we went to Oregon. I've been reading it off and on. And in my defense, I've put down that book to read another book that you bought me. So I've only That's been true. reading your books. But I have about 10 pages left in that. It's a phenomenal book, like I said, about the history between uh, humans in caves and cave systems and how we use caves for burial and for uh, storing radiation and for exploration and for uh, sacrifices and all sorts of fun stuff. So I highly recommend it. I it, it looks boring at first, 
but you read the first chapter and you're hooked. It's great. I've, I've seen online that he's a fantastic writer and just knows how to pull you into learning about this interesting connection. Uh, it's almost like an anthropological study because it's mm-hmm. humans interacting with something. It's this human fascination with Earth, whether it be mountains in his other book or, you know, the underground for this book, or he's got another one that's... Mountains! Uh, it's essentially he wrote poems as if they're sort of... Uh, I think it's called like incantations for nature or something, but it's like poems and somebody else illustrates. And so it's illustrated poetry. But anyway, they say he's a very good writer. And so I'm glad you've enjoyed the book. I really have. And the theme that it keeps coming back to is asking the reader, are we being good ancestors? What kind of legacy are we leaving? You know, how are we leaving this earth? And it leaves a lot of room to think. So highly recommend it if you need a good think. And also if you want to learn about dead people in caves. I mean, it sounds like a good time. Amen. Yeah, and then you've been doing that. I really haven't been doing a whole lot. I've been playing game on my phone, reading comic books. Uh, I was, I played Hearthstone a bit back in the day, and I've played other digital card games, but never have really stuck to any because generally you kind of have to spend money to win. But I jumped on and have been trying out the new uh, Marvel Snap, which I was worried was going to be one of those card games that is... Uh, just kind of carried by the IP connected to it and not actually a great game because that happens a lot for different games. However, I've been pleasantly surprised with how fun the game is in play. Uh, If you're a board gamer and you've played Land, Air, and Sea or Rift Force or any of those games where you're putting cards on either side of like a battlefield, it's that style of game. Play a card and it says the two locations adjacent to this get a plus two to their power and whatnot. You play your different things, have your different decks. It's a fun game for phone. It's free. It's worth checking out if you're a Marvel fan or not, because I've really enjoyed just having a decent little card game on my phone that's also, here's the best part. The other day, I timed a full game. Three minutes. Three minutes. The most I think I've ever spent on a game is maybe five, and that's if you're both taking the entire turn timer all the way to the bottom. So it's a super fast game, which also makes it a good poop game. That's like eight TikToks. Yes, I guess. I hate TikTok. That's fine. (laughs) Anyway, that's what's been happening. Tomorrow is Saturday. I'm going to a massive comic book sale at the comic shop. Haley is doing something in the day, maybe. Taking my mom to go look at the farmer's market and get coffee. It's going to be a good start to a good day. It's going to be a rainy day. And then in the evening, we get to go watch Scary Movies with Jim Wynn and Cody. We are going to the drive-in theater. It's the Winchester Drive-In down in Oklahoma City on the south side. It's been there for how long? Uh, 60 years. It's the oldest uh, continuously running, uh, what's it called, drive-in theater in Oklahoma. It's a really cool theater. We pay the $20 cooler fee, which is basically if you get caught with outside food, you charge 20 bucks. But if you tell them at the gate, hey, I'm paying 20 bucks for a cooler, they'll take it, give you a ticket, and that way the people, when they come by, they know you're okay to have that food. And it's per car. And it's per car. So we always pack a few beers and some food of our own so we don't have to go to the concession stand unless we want fries. It's going to be a little chilly, so I'm going to make a little chilly. Yep, we're going to sit outside. We bought a radio that's like a nice loud radio so we can set it in front of us, have our own sound tuned in, and they are doing, of course, being a drive-in, double feature, and it is the original Friday the 13th and the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I like this place because it really hasn't changed since 1950 and the prices have barely changed either. Oh, for real? Uh, It is cash only, $3 for a child, $7 for an adult, $20 for a car cooler fee. So for $7, you get the double feature and all the fun and joy of that. 
Yep, and their concession food, at least the French fries and the drinks, are actually very good. It's like three bucks, too, for fries and a drink. Yeah, super cheap. But yeah, so that's what we're doing tomorrow. And then Sunday I is just chilling out, hopefully relaxing, maybe watching some more scary movies. No, it's Samhain Day. We got to go on a nature walk. We got to carve pumpkins. And I got to cast a spell to be continued. All right, so I guess that's our Sunday plans. But until then, maybe we can fit a game in there sometime. That way we can have more to talk about with you. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. You mean a game like we played last night, Delty Poo? Yes, I do. So the game for this episode is Gargoyles Awakening. Technically, if you look this up on Board Game Geek or anywhere else, it's Disney's Gargoyles Awakening. Uh, which is a very annoying way to name a game because now I have to look at Disney's something before I can find it. Anyway. It's like whenever my sister was looking at buying a travel agency. The travel agency is called Kathy's Travel. So I told her she should buy it and call it Riley's Kathy's Travel just to keep up appearances. That's a good idea. I like it. But Gargoyles Awakening is not only available at Target. I think it's available possibly at Walmart. I'm not sure. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it all over the place for all kinds of different sales and deals and things like that. So this is Gargoyles Awakening from Ravensburger. Let me grab the rule book here so I can give you full credits of who did what and where and how. The game is designed by Nate Heiss. Game development is by Steve Warner. Art direction is Jake Breisch. Art coordination is Shana Duncan. Graphic design is David Tucker and Shane Smith. The comedian Shane Smith. Uh, no, not quite. The uh, There's a couple game editors and then there's like a ton of artists probably somebody did the buildings and someone designed the physical aspect of the buildings and someone did this and someone did that a lot of different stuff on here but gargoyles awakening if you aren't aware is the ip theming of a tv series out of the 90s called gargoyles the gargoyles tv series i recently finished rewatching all three seasons which took me a while but not too bad it's a lot more adult than i remember yeah i i watched that a lot as a child because it came out what in like 92 something like that whenever it first premiered um like 92 to 96 i'll look it up real quick just to see but continue and so i remember vividly my grandma joyce was the only person in our family who could afford uh the cable subscription for disney and so we went over to her house we got to stay at her house whatever the weekend my cousins and i would stay up late and watch gargoyles because gargoyles would only come on late at night because it was one of the older kids shows 94 to 97 and so i was about at that age i was i was born in 91 so I was probably about six or so when we really got into it. And I remember really enjoying the show, but it's one of those, it's almost like an implicit memory where like, I remember the feeling of gargoyles. I remember gargoyles is a thing. I know I've seen every single episode 40 times, but I didn't, I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened in the show until Delty started watching it and it started coming back to me like, oh my God, there was like a, an instance where the cop got shot and they're using actual guns and it loses to suicide. And it's like, oh my God, that's a, that's a lot for a, a show. That's targeted towards kids. I think it really shows you the difference in approach we have today uh, versus the approach we had in the 90s to kids shows. Because I feel like a lot of the shows in the 90s approach these tough subjects or deep subjects just without holding back. It's just like everyday life. And I yeah, I feel like we're kind of making our way back to that, but finish your thought. I, I think so. I just was saying that basically back in the 90s, it was like no holds barred. We're just, here you go. In this episode, guess what? Somebody died. Here's how we deal with it and move on. And I feel like it's just very different today where they, they approach it 
with more steps. Not that it's a bad thing. Not that either one's more correct than the other. It's just interesting to see the difference. And watching Gargoyles definitely as a kid show, even in the 90s, I feel like it did approach some heavier, deeper topics uh, or more serious topics, at least. And they did a good job. Yeah, and I, I kind of think it's gone in cycles where you had like a period in the you know mid seventies whenever shows were ta- like Maud talking about an abortion and All in the Family talking about you no know, issues with uh, sexism and things like that and miscarriage, and then you had kind of the sanitization in the eighties, and then in the nineties the cartoons came back and you have things like Gargoyles, which is like really in your face about these issues. Then it kind of got sanitized again in the early two thousands, and now like Delton said. This shows are starting to deal with those themes more with, with more steps involved. So, like, we've, we've talked about, I think, a show called uh, Big City Greens on Disney. Yeah. yeah. And in Big City Greens, the uh, family is basically a dad and the two kids lose the family farm, do the economy, move in with grandma who lives in the city. And, like, the mom of the family, she's in and out of uh, jail all the time. She's always incarcerated. But it, it deals with it. Like it's there, so it's a normal thing that the kids it's, have it's, to deal it's with. It's a normal part of their life, and they know, oh, we get to go see mom today, and it's like this is just how life is. Yeah, and and I like that it has that, and that's what was I think really refreshing about watching Gargoyles again because I watched a little bit with Delton whenever he was watching it. Like I didn't watch it with him, but I was in the presence. But it was kind of refreshing to see those themes again. It, it's really neat. There's one episode in particular I want you to watch the whole thing of. It's all about reading, mm-hmm. and it's very very good because one of the characters, Hudson, can't read. And he meets a uh, he becomes friends with the blind gentleman who reads Braille. And basically the blind guy, he essentially the big message of the show is like reading is it reading opens up your world like it, it's, it's it tells you stories you never would have thought you could hear. And it's just a very like nice way to say like, hey, reading's fun. Reading's you know, reading something you can do. It's even if it's hard, you'll get there. And they did a really good job. But I think you in particular would really appreciate the way they present it. It was very good. You just want me to cry again. It's a good episode. Anyway, now that we've taken that freaking tangent off and on. At the beginning of this episode, Delton's like, this is going to be a real short episode. We don't have a lot of banter <laughs> to talk about. We haven't done much. I think we'll have a short episode. Durr, durr. <laughs> Every time I say it, it's just wrong. Gargoyles Awakening, <laughs> the board game. Now so, that we both received our doctorate in 90s television and defended our dissertation. Yeah, basically. Tell us about Gargoyles, Delty. Okay, so Gargoyles Awakening. This game is definitely one targeted for families. It is cooperative. Uh, in, the ba- in the game, in the box, there are four different scenarios called episodes. Each of these episodes has its own little setup and its own specialty rules. However, one of the episodes is actually made to be one player as the bad guys versus the, all the other people as the good. I should probably state it holds two to five players and it says 45 to 60 minutes. Our first game we lost was in 19, I think. Yes. And the second game we won was in nine. Yeah. High five. High five. We did it. Once we played the first scenario, we were like, oh, we know how to do this. And then we got in that second time around and uh, just annihilated it and beat it very handedly. It was nice. But anyway, this is targeted toward families, targeted toward younger audiences. The game rulebook says ages 10 plus. I think you could probably sink that down to an eight, most likely. It's not a, it's so. not a super difficult game. It's not difficult uh, at all. No. Especially with open communication. Yes, I think you could definitely play it as young as seven or eight with that open communication if you played with a uh, open hand as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. So the way the game is going to work is if you've ever played or looked at or listened to us talk about Horrified, Horrified, the Universal Monsters game, is also cooperative. It also has, uh, you know, an interesting like IP connected to it, but though they're both going to function in a similar manner, which is you're going to take your turn. 
Then the villains are going to get a turn. Then you're going to do some little refresh steps, and the next player gets to go. Then they get to take their turn. Then the villains take their turn, and they go like that back and forth. So in this game, you have your little setup of this portion of New York City. You've got some different city buildings. You've got the police clock tower, which is where you will start. And you have the Irie building, which is Xanatos's building, the big villain of the show. Uh, the villain for most of the show, kind of anti-hero more towards the end. But that's the, the first big building, or the other big building in the game. So the way the game is going to work is there are different ways to set it up, depending on your episode. There's going to be the villains on the board, your heroes on the board. And your goal in most cases is going to be defeat the heroes or move something from one side of the board to the other or something, you know, along those lines. So it's very simple. It's all square based. So you move. It's one space at a time. Uh, this does have a certain ability called glide, which we kind of find a little goofy at times. So if you're a gargoyle, now the only other character in this game that's not one of the gargoyles is Elisa. She is just a human, so she cannot glide. But any of the gargoyles can glide, which means if you start on top of a building, you can move further, like you're gliding off of it. Because according to the lore of gargoyles in this, in this IP, uh, gargoyles can't fly, they can only glide and use the wind to their advantage. So keep that in mind, I guess. I don't know. Interesting to me, I thought. But in the game, you can glide. Now, anytime you normally would move and you move up a building, no matter how far, when you move up onto the building it takes two movement to move up one space. When you glide from one building to another, you still have to use that two movement when you're going from the, even though you're gliding over the ground space to the top of the next building, you have to still use that extra movement. Kind of funky, a little weird. I guess it makes sense. There are times in the show where they'll glide and just kind of land on the side of the building and then they climb the outside up. So I guess thematically that could work. It just depends on how far you're moving in that moment. But the game does a good job making it more family-friendly because if you are attacking somebody, you simply roll dice and boom, you basically have your attacks. If you have the claw marks, you hit. If it's a lightning bolt, there's likely a special ability you have. That's pretty much it. Their life trackers are simple to follow. But something that they did a good job making it simple is diagonals are adjacent and you can move diagonally. That makes it simpler. And then if you are on top of a building and someone's on the ground level or if you're on the ground level and they're on top, even if it's the biggest building in the game, the highest distance between the two uh, figures, if they're in adjacent spaces, that is adjacent for attacking. So Haley's character could be on the ground floor and then she could be attacking someone that's a two-story building above her but right next to her and it's considered adjacent for attacks. So it eliminates a lot of the like minutia that a lot of the skirmishing or these kind of games tend to have where it's like, oh, but if you're this high, you get blah, 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 blah. And if you're down here and the building's blocking your view, it's like, no, don't worry about that. If your space is within one, you're adjacent. It doesn't matter if it doesn't look like it or not. So it has a lot of things like that that are kind of funky, but they make it simple for families. I think somebody easily could house rule this to make it a little more complex. But at the same time, we lost that first scenario the first time we played it. And I wouldn't real doubt- Real bad too. It, it, it was real <laughs> bad. But I wouldn't doubt in some of the other scenarios that have more enemies- if it wouldn't be pretty darn tough, especially with more players where the villains trigger more often. Yeah, like Dalton said, other scenarios are probably more difficult, but this first scenario, I feel like it has a good amount of complexity and it makes for a quick replay too. Because like you said, we played the first round in about 19 minutes. We played the second time in nine. You know, we talked a few episodes ago about, uh, you know, games for kids. I think this would be one of those really good games for kids because it's, it's simple enough to keep them engaged, but it's complicated enough that we as two 30-somethings 
were able to have a lot of fun with this too. Exactly. This fits in the same category for me as horrified as our X-Men United, uh, you know, Marvel X-Men United cooperative game of there are three cooperative games. They're all three simple enough for families. They're all three complex enough to at least keep your interest as like an avid or a heavier gamer, whatever you want to say. And they're also just absolutely great for introductory games. And Gargoyles fits in that mold, especially if you're someone like me who really loves the Gargoyles franchise. Once I started watching it again, because I was like, man, I loved this show as a kid. And then the minute I started watching it, I was like, oh, God, I love this so much, which is why I have their new, you know, NECA action figures over there. I'm still, they still haven't released the other ones that I want, but I've got all the ones that are out over there. Uh, it's a problem. But it's a pretty yes. simple game. Uh, on your turn, I should say you have a number of action points. So your character could have three. You could use one to move, and you move up to your movement amount. You could use one to attack, and you attack by rolling the number of dice indicated by your strength. The game's that simple. So it's really, there's not like a ton in terms of mechanics that you can say about it because it's fairly straightforward. It's nothing you haven't seen before. However, I do think that playing this with three or four people will be, or I guess it goes up to five, would be very fun because of the team dynamic you can build. Because Haley played Elisa, who's ranged. Goliath is just a straight up, I'm going to attack you and hit super hard. Uh, Hudson is kind of an all-arounder. He's got pretty good movement, pretty good attack, pretty good health all around. Brooklyn can command other units, other people to move around. Broadway can heal people. And then Lexington gives them all the little special skill tokens, which can activate special abilities on or off of your own turn to help the active player. So I feel like you can try different combinations with three or four people and find like a good way to just work together as a team. Side note. Side note. Whenever you first started watching this again, that's the first time I realized that the gargoyles are named after regions in New York City. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Goliath's the only one because he yeah. had his name before they got to New York City mm -hmm. um, without going into how that all happened. But yes, uh, it's pretty interesting because I think what it, at one point they finally give a name. Uh, I think it's Hudson that they give a name to after after the Hudson. But yeah, they start doing that. And I think it's funny that the dog who is one of my all-time favorite characters from the show is Bronx. Mm -hmm. And he's just like this big lovable oaf, but then when he gets mean, he's mean. I just think it's funny. His name's Bronx. It's a great name. Anyway, that's the Gargoyles Awakening game. It's very fun. The IP is something I like a lot. And so when we played it, even though, yes, the game's, you know, a simple game, it's still entertaining. It's still fun. No, it's not something I'm clamoring to just get out over and over again, but it's definitely something that we'll come back to or introduce somebody to games or play with a younger audience, or sometimes if we just want to bust an easy cooperative game out, play it, play one of the harder scenarios, and just go for it. We've got this, and it also just looks cool. Plus, it is that Ravensburger puzzle strength, man. It is. I should say you actually build 3D buildings with this one, and the bad part is they can't fit in the box put together, so you're going to have to take them apart to an extent to get them in, which stinks. I think I'm going to find a way to just like have a couple of them out in my computer room because it's easier. Kenny Omega is going to be staying on top of the one building. Then you're going to have Doflamingo uh, camping out the other. That's not a bad idea. I can just put it down here with these guys. It'll there you fine. go. It'll be fine. But anyway, that's the Gargoyles game that's currently at Target and Amazon. And I, Robinsberger probably sells it on their own too. All that good stuff. Like I said before, this is one of those games that utilizes an intellectual property. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. 
Enjoy. We might be talking about IPs, but there is an empty drink that I see. That's pretty good. Thanks. I forgot about the other beer. (laughs) (laughs) Got got me talking about gargoyles. Anyway, so the second beer before we dive into the topic today is from Welltown Brewing, which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That pun was for Ben, by the way. Shout out to Ben. That's a good one. Yeah. Ben will like it. I guarantee you. Uh, Let me see. So this is an Imperial Holiday Ale brewed with real pumpkin, brown sugar, pumpkin spice, and conditioned with Madagascar vanilla. The name of this is Sweater Weather. It is a one pint can. 8.2% 8.2% alcohol by volume with 28 IBUs. I love a nice low IBU because it's not too hoppy and bitter. It's international bittering units or bitter units or however they phrase it. Until you're not a bitterman? No. So we've had one other uh, well town and that was their, I think it was like pie in the sky, something like that. It was a pecan pie beer and it was absolutely delightful. Did we delightful. have it on the podcast? I think we did. Was, I think we bought a four pack of it. We had one on the podcast and I drank two wrestling night. And took a nap. I'll have to. Oh, and this is this is definitely an off pour. I can tell mine's lighter because it's a whole pint. Oh, look at that! Look at that! You did it. Proud of you. I almost crushed the can. Oh God! All right. Mm. So this. Oh God! If you look at it, it has a cloudy, darker orange. Not an amber. There's not like a hint of brown really to it. It's like a definitely a pumpkin color. It also got some pumpkin gunk in there. I think. Uh, it's it's got a little bit of a head to it in the glass, which is nice. It's kind of fading out. It smells so sweet. Holy Jesus, it smells sweet. You know what it smells like? Pumpkin pie and vanilla. <laughs> it does, but it, it smells like pumpkin pie and vanilla, but also, you know, the the basically the caramel that you make whenever you make popcorn balls. Yeah. Whenever you kind of make that candy syrup. Yeah. That's what it smells like with a little bit of pumpkin. Oh, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, guess what I'm making this weekend? That sounds good. Popcorn balls. Hell yeah, brother. All right, so it smells delicious. Let's give it a taste. Mmm. It's got a nice carbonation, a a fullness to the body, which is really nice. It tastes like a really fluffy pumpkin pie. It is not as sweet as I expected. Mm -mm. A little bit of vanilla, but like you said, you get a lot of pumpkin, but it's not overly pumpkin spice, which we've talked about Mm. before. It tastes like freaking a pumpkin pie, less sugar, a little bit less spice, and then whip the shit out of it. This tastes like my Grandma Joyce's pumpkin pies because she would use less sugar. She would use real pumpkin. Mm Mm-hmm. But then she would always whip it with like whipping cream, so it'd be light and fluffy. Because you know a pumpkin oh. pie is really dense. Yep. This this is light and fluffy like her pies were. This is Grandma Joyce's pumpkin pie in a cup. You just sloshed it all it over all over my leg. Damn it. And my floor, not my rug though. Ha ha. I clean with my socks. Clean it with your socks. You can change socks after. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to get some water now. It's gonna be sticky there because you're bouncing around as you're yelling <laughs> I was about so the happy. beer. Happy. It tastes like Grandma's pies. That is a really good beer. That is delightful. Okay, we gotta go. We gotta go pick up a six pack of both of these. These are two of the best beers that I've had in a very long time. Well, at least we know Grand Crew has them because that's where we got these singles. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that is Welltown Brewing's Sweater Weather out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's a very good pumpkin. Both of these beers were solid tonight. Oh yeah. I think these were great choices for our last of October episodes, our Halloween episode before we move into the fall season, where we could probably still have pumpkin beer because falls pumpkins stay around. <laughs> pumpkin stays around till my birthday, man. After my birthday, can we officially move into Christmas season? We have to go to Chuck E. Cheese for your birthday. Chuck E. Cheese for my birthday. Yeah, I knew you were going to like that. Anyway, so the topic for today's episode, even though I feel like everything today has been long-winded, is IPs in games or intellectual properties in games. I actually need to type this into our spreadsheet. I haven't done that yet. Anyway, we wanted to just uh, touch a little bit on intellectual properties in games because we've talked about 
uh, a lot about theming, a lot of just about all kinds of stuff. It may, it makes it very difficult sometimes to, to find <laughs> well, a topic we find entertaining enough for like, we want to make sure we enjoy talking about the topic and you also enjoy it. And we're not doubling back. I'm, I'm going to like make a proposition here. Yeah. We're on episode 130. Starting on episode 150, we can start recycling themes. We either recycle theme or we need to think about the episode structure, which is Ooh. a lot to think about. So we have time if it's episode 150 is our goal there. Yeah, we got like six months to figure that out. Yeah, we'll see if we can come up with six months of topics. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so IP is in board games. So as we said, an IP, an intellectual property, uh, if you're a little unsure on what that is, basically that is somebody's idea, like the Gargoyles show, the people who wrote the Gargoyles TV show, they own the essentially the copyright, the trademark. They own that property. They created that property out of their brain, an intellectual property, and they own the licensing. Board game companies, or other companies for that matter, can pay to essentially borrow or utilize that IP in their board game, their video game, their card game, their t-shirts, whatever else. And then the people who own the IP make money, and the people making the product make a little bit of money. But sometimes that IP can be a very large selling point. This is where board games come into play. Because how many freaking people have purchased things based on the IP? Me. Me. I bought Gargoyles Awakening <laughs> based on the IP. <laughs> I knew the game probably wasn't going to be phenomenal. And not that it's a bad game. But it's a nice middle of the road, simple, easy, doesn't suck. It's not fantastic. It's just a fun game with a theme that I love, right? Right in the middle. And I feel like there's a lot of games like that out there, just in general. And I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, no. As a as a board gamer, and I feel like if you would have asked me like eight years ago, back whenever I was in that, like, I'm getting hard in the board games. I only like difficult ones. And da 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 da. I've been like, oh no, I'm I don't want games with IPs because they're not good. I want complexity. But now that I've older, matured, and I like dumb yeah. stuff again. I feel like the older I'm getting, the more I'm allowing myself to like dumb stuff and be a basic basic girl. Oh, I've been liking dumb stuff for decades. <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, it's for me, like, I feel like, oh, yeah, it's, it's buying a game is, yes, you want to buy a game to have fun. Yes, you want to enjoy the game. But part of the enjoying the game is not just, you know, having a game that's complex or having a game that has dope mechanics or something new. But it can be like, I like the, the IP. I like the theme. It sounds like fun. Oh, 100%. Like, I've got a little list here of board games. Let's see if I can... I'm going to move the mic stand. It's going to make some noise, so I'll talk real loud. So, uh, and that way, too, look, I can come up here, and I can watch it pop up IPs. Okay, nope, it doesn't. Ah, ha, 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 ha. IPs in games. But I need... No. No. Computer. We're going to look at that here in about two years and be like, what the hell is Ips and Games? Ips and Games? Is it's that like, a typo? It's like how to bird. I still don't know what how to bird means. Was it How to Bird? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was How to Bird. Whenever we had Jesse on the uh, podcast and we chose a random question, it was How to Bird. Was it our... Uh... Or was it How to Bird or Would You Bird? Are You Bird? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. This is... Control Fine Bird. <laughs> this is completely... I guess that's true. This is completely not what we're supposed to be talking about right now, but I'm going to look. Well, in our defense, most we've likely, already had an 8.4% beer. Most likely to bird. Most likely to bird. Most likely to bird. Don't know what that means still. Haven't listened to it. Got no goddamn clue what our brains Take were the doing. Mystery. I, shit, I guess so. Anyway, so we have a little list here of some board games. I found this list on BoardGameQuest.com. It's top 10 board games based on a license, according to these people, as of April 8th, 2022. 
And by these people, I mean James Wolf with two Fs. Seems legit. Seems legit. Uh, the ones they talk about, and some of these I've played, some I haven't, but I thought this is a good little list to showcase some of IPs, right? The first one is Firefly the Game, which I think is put out. Uh, I can't think of the company that puts that out, but Firefly the Game. Firefly was a very popular TV show in the early 2000s, early mid 2000s, and I've heard the game's pretty good. You've got Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones has the board game. Game of Thrones has the LCG that I think is now... I think they discontinued making. I think they stopped it. And there's other Game of Thrones things. We have the Hand of the King, little card game, stuff like that. Lord of the Rings. Journey in Middle Journeys in Middle Earth is the game that they have on there, but there's a million Lord of the Rings-based games and themes and Hobbit and all that stuff. You've got Legendary Encounters Alien. There's Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Corp. There's all kinds of Aliens games. Sherlock Holmes. Now, Sherlock Holmes, me and Haley discussed, is kind of a different category for IP. Yes, because after 100 years, typically 95 to 100 years, the copyrights or the uh, trademarks expire when it comes to intellectual property. And so we just recently learned that Mickey Mouse becomes public domain in 2024. Now, could they file for a new intellectual property, like copyright or trademark? Disney has more money than the United States of America, so I'm sure they can figure something out. But I think that Steamboat Willie is going to be something that we could probably use. That makes sense. I never knew how it worked. But yeah, after so long, a lot of stuff becomes free reign. So Sherlock Holmes, you see on several different games, including Consulting Detective, which is very good. But Sherlock Holmes is a, is a, a, a title or a name you'll see a lot. X-Wing, which brings me to Star Wars, one of the biggest IPs in the world today. And there are so many Star Wars games. And so this is, this is a good spot for me to not just be listing off games with IPs, but talk for a second about how when you see an, a game with an IP, you can have a couple different reactions. I tend to have the, I'm going to bet it's bad and I want to be proven otherwise. Some people have the idea, I'm going to bet it's good and I want to, you know, I can be proven otherwise. But then there's the other, uh, you know, the, the third group, which is, I like that theme, I don't care, which is why I bought Gargoyles. <laughs> <laughs> is I don't care if it's a bad game, I like the theme, I want to buy it for that, for that IP. Star Wars is one of those that actually has so many good games and honestly not a lot of bad ones. Like I did I didn't care for the LCG that they had of it. I thought didn't think it was very good. Star Wars Destiny was I thought fun and simple and a a, a good idea. It just didn't seem to have legs to really keep going. X-Wing's a great game. They have Imperial Assault and the whatever the tabletop like Warhammer style minis game is. They've got a lot of Star Wars stuff out there. Uh, Star Wars Rebellion, Star Wars Outer Brink, all these games that are a lot of people consider very, very, very good. And that's honestly surprising because normally when something has an IP, like I said, I kind of look at it like, eh, I don't, if I don't like the IP or if I'm not madly in love with the IP, I'm usually not going to buy it because I'm erring on the side of caution that it's probably not great. But the Star Wars games kind of busts that because all of them have been at least decent, like better than you would expect. But that's something with a lot of IPs is, uh, you know, I remember when Renegade Games put out the Power Rangers game. I don't remember if it was a deck builder or what kind of game it was, but I saw them using the Power Rangers IP. I've never played it in my life. I don't have a soft spot for Power Rangers. Sure, I loved it as a kid. Who didn't that was a young boy in the 90s? Hey, I had a pink Power Ranger Barbie doll. There you go. At that point, they came with actual, like, little guns, too, which is crazy to think about now. That's still so funny. (laughs) But it's one of those things. They put that on there, and I thought, ah, okay, so they're cashing in on that. They're cashing in on that nostalgia. And there is some honesty in that, that a lot of these games, 
they could be any themed, but they choose an IP because that brings people in. It brings people in, and also on the flip side, people people want it. Exactly. I you you want a gargoyles game. Mm-hmm. Just like I want cat games. Yeah. Like if you make it, they will come. There is, there is kind of a, a a niche for that right now because a lot of people our age are coming of age, getting their big big kid jobs, being able to afford things, and we we want to kind of re- money money. I mean. For you and I, I think we, we want to kind of relive some of those childhood pleasures, so the childhood experiences. We want that, that joy we still find in uh, catering to the, our inner child. I think so. I think there's something to that. And I think now that I'm in my 30s, I'm starting to f- find, uh, I hesitate to say my nostalgic area. He's getting nostalgic. But I think I'm learning for the, the things that I enjoy because I used to like them. I, I still don't recognize the feeling of nostalgia with anything aside from certain, uh, like, two albums, which we've talked about. Yeah. But aside from that, like, I feel like now that I'm getting older a little bit, I'm starting to find these things like, oh, I loved that, and then just kind of diving into it. But it's also fun to do that. Now, my friend Sarah sent me a meme a while back. I'll have to find it, but it was basically, you know, the 30s are about refinding who you always were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's the case for me, at least um, in the last year, especially. I know I've only been 30 for less than a year. But, you know, I, I really feel like the older I've gotten, the more I've allowed myself to experience those inner joys. No longer do I feel like I have to grow up. I don't feel like I have to be professional. I mean, I do. But I don't feel like I have to make professionalism or my job or whatnot my personality. I can have a refrigerator full of pumpkin spice shit because it's fall. Because I like it. Am I basic? Yes. I can have my Hello Kitty placemat. Yes, that's fine. You can have your Gargoyles game. You can have your room full of toys. I, I can have my 18 wrestling action figures hanging on the wall in the computer room. <laughs> you can have your room full of toys within fun budget. Like, yes. I don't know. The older I've gotten, the more I've enjoyed indulging in those things. And mm-hmm. I no longer feel like they're guilty pleasures. Yeah. Like when I was in, like 25, I thought having Hello Kitty was kind of silly. But I liked it. But now that I'm 30, I'm like, no. All the Hello Kitty stuff. If, if a client wants to see my office material, yeah, I got a Hello Kitty placemat. I got a Hello Kitty toy over here. I got a Hello Kitty mug. Fight me. No, actually, don't fight me. But I like my Hello Kitty. I like these small indulgences. And I feel like the the IPs, yes, it's a marketing ploy, but also it's really fun to indulge in those things that we loved as a child. And you can tell, too, when somebody uses an IP because they actually care about it, right? So, for example, the Gargoyles game, I feel like the, some of the people who designed this, or the designer himself maybe, they actually enjoy the the product because the four different episodes you can look at and go, oh, okay, this is referencing this episode or this series of ep- episodes. Like, they did a good job. They have thematic things that fit with the actual series and the story of the series. Like, that first scenario has Coldstone. He has a good side and a bad side, and he flips between them. Because it fits perfectly with what happened in Gargoyles in story. And so somebody actually cares about this IP and wanted to make a game that's family-friendly for a family-friendly cartoon. So it makes sense. And that's the same with the the Gargoyles action figures from NECA. One of them, Goliath, has a jalapeno. It's like somewhere in the second season, he eats a jalapeno and it's spicy. And he goes, ah, jalapeno, because they all pronounce it jalapeno because they're from New York, I guess. I don't know. Even though the Gargoyles are Scottish without accents. Uh, but he's got a jalapeno. And from then on in the show, one of the sayings is like, ah, jalapeno. It's like something they say. And so it's like you can tell when someone has cared about it. And I feel like that stands out when you enjoy an IP. It's n- if it 
if you can tell it's not just thrown on as a marketing ploy, 100%, you can tell that somebody actually enjoys this IP and wants to utilize it, then it does. It makes it, uh, it makes it better because then you do. You want to buy it and you want to support them because they enjoy it, and then you'll enjoy it too because it's an IP you like. Just side note, I feel like whoever made the Seinfeld scene it was also really hardcore in the Seinfeld. <laughs> yes. So if you've never played Seinfeld seen it, that is an IP that was used to make a scene it. If you don't remember seen it, that was whenever you had six to eight DVDs that you put in your DVD player and then you played a quiz game and they showed you short clips and they did little trivia about said movie or said game. And the Seinfeld seen it, I feel like I'm a Seinfeld fan. I've seen all of it multiple times. Delton's seen it at least once all the way through. We sat down to play with that with Brian and got our butts handed to us. That is one game that is definitely made by a super fan because I had no idea what the hell the questions were asking. It's a super fan, but also sometimes it was talking about like real life stuff. And all of us were like, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares who Jerry Seinfeld was actually dating for this episode. It was probably a 17 year old. Uh, yes. So <laughs> there's also some Batman themed <laughs> games like we have Batman Love Letter. You know, superhero stuff is big. Obviously, I talked about we have that Marvel United X-Men or sorry. Marvel X-Men United or Marvel United, X, however you'd phrase it. X-Men United. Mar Marvel X United Men. Yes. Marvel is a massive IP right now. And, uh, you know, I just talked about that Marvel Snap card game on my phone. I was worried that the IP was it was just going to be carried by the IP and the actual gameplay wasn't going to be any good. But really, when you play it, the IP is obviously just kind of pasted on there. But the gameplay is actually solid. So they didn't ride on it. And it's nice because there are some Marvel games. A lot of people love Marvel Champions or Marvel Legendary. Both of those games have stood out and kind of stood the test of time where a lot of people still today, they absolutely adore those games. And so it's another IP that, you know, IPs can stand out. They can bring nostalgia or they can bring new people in. Anything Cthulhu and Lovecraft, that's all open now. It's been past that 100-year mark. You could make literally anything and put Lovecraft's name on it and be fine. That's kind of nice. I'm going to make a Lovecraft sandwich. Basically, yeah, here you go. Marvel Champions, Marvel United, the unmatched games. I think they have some Marvel ones. Anyway, there's all kinds of IPs. IPs can be very beneficial for a game in terms of sales, but they can also be very beneficial in terms of your happiness, no matter how good or bad the game is. Right, and like I said, the older I get, the more my outlook on life is. Does it make you happy? Yes, then seek it. Right. Because I feel like, like I said, for so long, I know me in particular, in my in my 20s, there was times whenever I forfeited happiness and in exchange for prestige or exchange for professionalism or exchange for, you know, how I wanted to present myself, how I wanted the world to see me. And that doesn't really matter. I feel like the last two years have really shown that, that what we really need to seek is happiness. And if we seek happiness, even if it is through things like gargoyles, you're going to be happier and people don't give a shit about what you think as much as you think. That's very true. And I think that uh, in modern times, having these niche little things or having things that you enjoy it, being a nerd is a lot more okay. It's mm -hmm. not so you have to keep it to yourselves. All you nerds go back to your dungeon and play Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering. Like it's a little more accepted to be into things like that. So I think that all around it's a mixture of we're changing and the world's changing. Yes. And so embrace the change, embrace the happiness, embrace the gargoyles. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games Podcast special bite-sized question. So, the question for this episode before we wrap up is what 90s TV show would you like made into a board game? 
So I totally came up with this question at breakfast this morning. Yep. And I was like, oh, I got all day to think about it. Have Never I thought, thought about, about it, it till now? <laughs> nope. I'm literally going to Google 90s cartoons to just look at some of the ones that I grew up with very strongly because I think a bunch of these probably never had anything. Uh, I would love a Rugrats board game or a King of the Hill. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Give me, give me, I need to know. Yep. Courage Cowardly Dog. Answer. That's your answer? Courage Cowardly Dog needs something because that show is still so freaking creepy. So what kind of game would it be, Delty? Uh... Uh, heck, I don't know. I really don't. I have no clue what kind of game it would be. Some something spooky. I don't. <laughs> You'd probably be trying to survive the house, and it'd be like three players only, like one to three, and it'd be you could play as Courage, Eustace, or Muriel, and that was it. And you just had to survive all the spooky, weird stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that's all I got. So mine would be Cat Dog, of course. Yeah. So for you who don't know, I had a cat dog themed eighth birthday party when we went roller skating and I've never been so proud of my niece in my entire life because she turned six in January and she told my sister that she wants a cat dog birthday party at the same skating rink where I had mine. So I'm very proud. That was not implanted in her head. That was an organic decision that she made. I was so proud. And your other niece, Harper, wants a cat dog birthday party. Oh my God. You realize that. Oh, and she's turning eight this year. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So very proud of it right now. So I think I would have a cat dog game. It would be a two-player game. And it would be, what I really want it to be is kind of have a tug-of-war feel. You're playing cards. Mm -hmm. The object of the game is the first one to probably probably get to Winslow. The cat wants to get to Winslow, who is the mouse, to hit him. Okay. Uh, the dog wants to get to Winslow to like share a cupcake with him or something like that. And it's going to be feel very tug-of-war-ish because, you know, they're the same... They're attached to each other. So as you're playing games, it's going to be a very tight game, kind of feeling like Twilight Struggle where you're going back and forth the whole time playing tug of war. But the person who gets to Winslow first or is able to get to his little mouse hole first is the winner. That could be fun. Yes. That's what I want. So anybody who has the IP rights or the money to obtain it over the next couple months, hit me up. We'll make a game together. It's probably going to suck, but it'll sell well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because this new generation, for some reason, the cat dog. Cat dog has not been out since like 2003. No. And Riley, uh, I'm sorry, Lakin and Harper both love cat dog. And I am so proud. And I love it. Well, when we were at my parents, Harper was watching cat dog before my dad was finally like, I'm tired of this crap and changed the channel. But she was watching cat dog and it was the episode where they're playing baseball. And cat has a mask disguised as dog. And dog has a mask disguised as cat. And they're both playing on the opposite team. And it was just like, I remember this, but I don't remember this. It's like it what was, I was talking about earlier with, with the gargoyles. gargoyles. Like, yeah. you have this like implicit memory. Like, I remember the feeling of Cat Dog. I remember the premise of Cat Dog. Couldn't tell you a single episode until I watched it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what happens. They yep. tie the fish down into the tent and then they let it go free after Cat sells it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's, uh, that's something with old cartoons. When you start watching them again, you go, oh, I remember this. This hit rings a bell. Oh, but anyway, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I'm going to give a big shout out first to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you for supporting us on patreon.com slash Games at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. Also, shout out to Jennifer. We need to have a board game virtual day soon. Yes, we do. It's been a minute. Speaking into the universe now, we miss you. I know. Everybody's been, I feel like we all got so busy after August, and it's just now hitting the point where I feel like life's kind of slowing down a, a teensy bit. 
a, a, a teensy teensy bit. And so we need to do that. We need to do many more digital board game nights. But yes, if you want to be like them, you can go to patreon.com slash malthouse games and check out the different levels and random things that I try to do for all of our Patreon patrons. The only one I'm super consistent at is shouting out on the podcast. But thank you to all of our patrons for supporting us. We appreciate it. It helps us out so much. You can always follow us on all social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. You can find me at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K, even though I pretty much never use any of it. We also really don't use Facebook because I deactivated it, which deactivated the page, and then I relaunched the page, but I haven't posted to it. You can find us on Instagram, though, or find me in particular at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. Yes, and you can also find her okay at hiking. Yes, because we're from Oklahoma and we're hikers, and we're also okay at hiking. Yeah, we're okay at it. It's fine. Everything's it's fine. fine. Uh, if you have a game you think we need to look at, a topic you would like us to cover, please send me topics. I'm running out of ideas. And questions you'd like us to answer on the show or a beer you think we need to find and look at, send an email, contact at malthousegames.com. I'm pretty bad at responding to emails there because I forget to check it because they don't notify me. However, I will check it at some point and I will put whatever it is on the an episode. That's just how it works. Please send me topics. Uh, I think that covers everything. Am I missing something? I always feel like I'm missing something. You miss me. I will once I kill you. Wow. Anyway, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to episode 130 of the Malthouse Games podcast. I was going to say, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Give us a rating on Spotify and iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever I, you listen. I told you this 8.7 is getting to you. You're not just happy. I really want dessert. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I want right now. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.